0: you want to turn in your Bibles to the book of Philippians in the New Testament close to the end of your Bible come across Galatians, Ephesians, and then Philippians I want to read you Paul's command here in Philippians uh, chapter 4 but before I do that, maybe you're here today and you think, I'm not a very courageous person but in God's word I want you to see that, that courage is something he's already implanted in you, that his courage is there to be awakened by his word that He has created you to be a courageous person. And we're going to spend some time in the coming weeks looking at at bravery in the the Lord. And and I want you to know that um, Scripture tells us that God has not given us a spirit of what? Fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. How many know how important that is in the times of trial to have a sound mind? How many of you ever felt like you're going crazy in the middle of a trial? Like, God, I I feel like I am literally just going crazy in the middle of this. And then His power. It's that thing that people see at work in your life that says, there's something different going on in your life, and I've got to know what that is. And love, like He created it, that the power of God's love. You know, we don't have the capacity to love as He does, but through us, His love is shown. So if you're a child of God, if you're His creation, it's not right for you to live life intimidated by every bad report that you receive. That every time that you get a bad report from the doctor or from your boss or uh, from the billing company or whatever it is, that every time that you live in intimidation. Today I want to focus on, on a certain word that we see in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul says, Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. How are you doing with that, huh? How are you doing in your life right now on being anxious for nothing? Be anxious for nothing. So we're going to need to talk about that in a minute. But in everything, in everything, by prayer and supplication, it says, with thanksgiving, Now, I believe one of the reasons that we get anxious so often in our lives and so easily, you know, some of you are looking like wide-eyed, like, did he read my mail this week? I've been anxious. I worry. But one reason that happens is because we're not thankful enough for what we already have. He says, see, a lot of times our prayer life will be surrounded by needs, and we're praying for God for what we need, and we're never thankful for what he's already given us for what's already there as tools he's given us through his word to be able to live victoriously and so we're always praying waiting for something to come that anticipation and we get anxiety because we're always waiting for something to come instead of being thankful for what's already there with thanksgiving let your request be made known to god philippians 4 7 in the new king james version says and the peace of god I want some of that. That's that's the thing I want in my life is the peace of God. That's that's stuff I'm after. But the peace of God, a peace that the world can't take away because they didn't give it, a peace that the economy can't take away because our peace is not God's peace is not rooted in the economy, and it goes on to say which surpasses all understanding. That that means that sometimes it won't even make sense to those around you that when you have God's peace, you're going through some trials and everybody's like, why aren't you wigging out right now? You're about to lose your house or you're about to lose your job or you've got a loved one that's hanging by a breath. Why aren't you freaking out? And all you'll be able to say, it's just God. See, it's a supernatural, out-of-this-world, life-giving peace that comes from God. It will guard your hearts and your minds. And just a thought about this, do you realize that Paul's writing these letters? That's what we're reading in these New Testament books. Paul's many times writing letters to a church. And so in his time, they're going through some stuff, and Paul's writing from a prison cell when he writes this passage. And, you know, I think it'd be hard to talk about being unanxious to having peace when you're in a prison cell, when all you see is bars and you're not in control of anything and you're getting fed horrible food, and that's going to be your life, and they can harm you, they can kill you. And I just wonder if Paul's not thinking this through and trying to figure it out. It's like the peace of God is like, how do I describe the peace of God? What, how do I describe this peace I have in this prison cell? And he looks up through the bars, and there's a guard standing there, and he goes, "Guard, the peace of God will guard your life." Just like this guard that's outside the prison cell, his job is to keep anything from coming in to let me out or for me getting out. His job is to guard anything from passing, and, and so. The peace of God will stand guard around your life and make sure that what gets in or out is only what God allows. What's only from God. They'll guard your heart and your mind through through Jesus Christ. How many of you want verse 7? You want the peace of God in your life. How many want that? See, we have to go through verse 6 though to get verse 7 in our life. So I want to speak specifically today about that phrase, be anxious for nothing. So turn to someone, poke them in the shoulder and say, be anxious for nothing. Now poke them in the shoulder and say, I know you're anxious over, over something. All right, well, I want to receive the tithe and offering. If uh, you can get a couple of ushers up here. Thank you, Ken and the worship team for leading us. Andrew, you want to pray? Jesus, we thank you for a great time of worship, God. I thank you for uh, healing, God, and I thank you for the tithe and offering that's about to be received. It's, it would be a blessing, God, that we wouldn't give out of um, just because we feel like we're supposed to, God, but we give out of joy because we know what's going to be built and what is going to be um, happening in your presence in that building thats un- that we're looking at right now, God. We thank you for this offering. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 So while they're taking up the offering, uh, I'm not sure what that is, Andrew, actually. While they're taking up the offering, I'll just give you a couple things. Um, I'm thankful to see Jubilee back uh, from from being in the hospital and really being very, very sick. And so we're thankful for um, God bringing her back and the Cassiriks thankful for your uh, resolve to keep following the Lord and trusting him. And so... Also, keep Sandy Haynes in prayer. She has cancer. She comes to the first service, and she's uh, been taking chemo and, and had a little discouragement and feeling, and feeling sick. And also, Beth, who has helped us in worship before, and her, uh, her and Belinda, uh, roommates, Then Beth has had surgery. She's still in the hospital. And there's some others. Just keep, if you don't see someone in, the, in a service that you normally see or you don't see them in church, don't wait to find out for me what's happened with them. Call them yourself. If you don't have the number, call, ask us to get their number. You call them. A lot more powerful than pastor checking on them than someone else in the congregation thinking about them and checking on them so if you see it you're like I haven't seen this face in a while or whatever don't ask me what happened just call them listen if they're mad then at least maybe the Lord's saying hey no reason to be mad people love you there right be anxious for nothing also just want to let you know I was pretty anxious about the building project felt like we were just stalled for a while But things are happening. They're probably going to be turning us, getting some power out to our RV sites on uh, Monday, Tuesday, somewhere around there, hopefully. And then uh, bring gravel in. We're waiting on a couple things for that. And get our RVers in, dig some footings with no rain this week. So pray for no rain. Amen. So things are going good. So how many of you are excited about this sermon today, knowing it's about anxiety? Are you anxious about the sermon? It's a long title for this one. I didn't even share in the first service the title. I missed that. Um, so I, I have a little bit of a little small very very short time in the Navy and so nautical terms I think about knots you don't do miles per hour on the water it's so many knots and so the title today is how many knots in the waves before marinating in the sun the s-o-n the sun how many knots how fast are you going to be hitting waves before you finally get to lay out in the sun and enjoy the son of God so do you have a situation going on right now that you need some peace in? Real peace. Scripture says to be anxious for nothing. My, my children, uh, I know it may be wrong for me to use them for examples in sermons, but, you know, listen, I'm short on material and they're there all the time, so, hey, here we go. And uh, they scowl at me, but that's okay. Because you pay me back in many other ways. So, um, but they have some senseless anxiety sometimes. What I think are senseless anxieties. It's like... Um, you know at different stages of their development or when you're teaching them life skills um they they have these they exhibit these irrational anxieties sometimes it's like the kid you know the little kid at the store that they've been told no they can't have a piece of candy and they go full-blown temper, temper tantrum laying on the floor red faced, and the mom's embarrassed so she's got them like lifted higher than they can actually reach the ground and they're going out the door like this you know throwing their fit and you're like man over candy really the kids like about to suffocate and die because they didn't get candy but sometimes it's not that ex- dr- uh, dramatic. You know, Lily, when she was just little, barely able to walk, she's figured out elevators, you go in there, she can feel the movement. She got scared, got anxious about that. She'd go hang on to the bar that would go across the wall, you know, in the elevator, like, that's going to really help you if the thing crashes. But she'd just stand there and hang on to that, and we thought that was funny. But kind of a senseless anxiety, that's not going to help you if anything goes wrong. And then, you know, I think about uh, my boys when they were little the mascots, you know like the big Disney characters, you go somewhere somebody's dressed up in big costume, you know like when they're watching the cartoon they love them, but when it's a person inside this big fuzzy suit, like no way, you know, that's an axe murder in there or something, they're, they're scared. And so you try to get a picture with them next to you, force them, you know, you, go stand next to the bunny, come on, it's Easter. and They're standing there and they're like this, so you get this picture and the kid's like, looks like they're about to die. And he senses anxieties because, you know, why would your parents send you up to a scary creature if it's really going to be scary or hurt you? You know, I think about Caleb not long ago, he would, the word blood bothered him. And, and, it, and it didn't mean that he saw blood or anything, he would just talking about it. And so he'd get squeamish and he'd turn pale if you said blood, especially if you started going ooey gooey blood. And he'd just, you know, next thing you know he'd be sinking to the floor, laying on the floor about to pass out. And, and maybe we did that to him because we used to think, you know, our kids are going to be some doctors or scientists one day and make millions of dollars and spend it all on mom and dad, you know, in our retirement or before. And so we'd show them all these medical videos of this is how your body works, you know, this is how the food moves through you, and you know we had fun with that. And so maybe we planted that a little bit. But blood was a was a senseless anxiety for Caleb because it wasn't like he was losing any or seeing any. It was just the thought of it. You get squeamish. And some of our kids, you know, not be able to go to sleep without a light on in the house. Your dad has guns. And, and all I do is sit and think about how I pr- would protect you if someone got in. That's like what I do in my extra time as enjoyment is to think about how I would tear apart some intruder that's coming after you. Because that's what dads like to do. You know, we want to be the hero. And so I have guns. Why are you worried about the light being out? That's better for me. I have lasers and I have lights on my guns. And I'm I'm prepared. <laughs> Just wait talking I get forward, night vision. Then we're really hooked up. I mean, why do you worry about that Senseless anxiety? You know, the latest, we've been doing some training in the pool, and I haven't really trained in a pool for 20 years, but I used to be pretty good in the pool. And I don't mean as a brag, but um, when I was in the Navy, I... I will tell you why I wasn't good. I wasn't good on land. They said I ran like a girl and I was the slowest in the pack and so I always had to run more than everybody else because I got punished with more running so I got good at long distance but I couldn't sprint for nothing you know because I would ran so many extra miles but in the water I was a fish and nobody could catch me. It didn't matter what stroke it was you couldn't catch me and that's where I would shine so I'm thinking if I can do anything for my boys we'll spend time we've been going by 5, 5.30 in the morning to the pool and we'll do laps and then we'll get out and do push ups and then we'll do laps and then we'll do flutter kicks if you know what that is and, and swimmers and all kinds of stuff and so we've been doing that but, but one of our bo- the boys they had this fear when of, of water getting in their nose because it would and, and it would just paralyze them like I can't do this I can't do it you know this, this anxiety and here's the thing it's the same water we could stand in where we're at they could stand and get out of the water so they're not going to drown but you know, when you, you have that senseless anxiety, it wouldn't matter whether it's three inches of water or 100 feet of water. It's the same water going up the nose, but it's the thought of the potential of harm coming to you. is paralyzing. You know, these same kids will go pick up bugs that have spikes and thorns and stingers on them, not thinking about it could be deadly or poisonous or whatever, or they'll walk through weeds up to their waist to get blackberries, not thinking about the poisonous snakes that could be there. They'll do that. But man, you mention blood or a little water up your nose, and it's like you just cut off my arms and legs and I can't do anything. They'll ride roller coasters that literally I... I don't like to do those anymore because I start thinking about the maintenance schedules and whether they're keeping up on that, and you feel a little bit of looseness in the track. You're like, yep, they got some goober that they hired and lied on his application about having experience with roller coasters, I'm going to die because of his lie. So senseless anxiety. That's right. My wife's helped me preach up here. You can help too. But it, it's paralyzing. Lily Jean's pretty fearless, though. I will tell you that, and, you know, I, I brag on her. But listen, she, she has one that's like kryptonite to her. And if you want to know what really gets Lily Jean, what paralyzes her is, if she has the thought that she's hungry and food is not immediately available, I mean, I could tell this girl, listen, honey, you can last three minutes without oxygen. Listen to the rule of three. This is a survival training here from dad. Three minutes without oxygen, three days without water, three weeks without food, and you'll still live. But she thinks three seconds without food when it's demanded, and it's like the world's coming to an end, and she freaks out. It's irrational, senseless anxiety because we've never starved our kids. So to me it seems like irrational anxieties, and our children have those, but I do too, and we know that the body of Christ, we all have some. And so Paul says, Paul says he wants to correct that in Philippians 4. He says, there are things you're afraid of that make no sense from heaven's point of view. There's things that you're fearful of that, that in the light of eternity, make no sense there are some things that are causing you to shut down that the things that God wants you to do in your life you shut down and you freeze because and they're paralyzing you but it's senseless because in the context of what God is doing through you who God is in you what you mean to him what he's got planned for you it's senseless anxiety so Paul says retrain your brain want you to retrain your heart to be anxious for nothing And so, uh, you're like, come on, Paul. I mean, this is preacher talk, but really anxious for nothing. I mean, have you seen the Dow Jones? Do you know what's happened to our economy? Do you know what they're teaching in schools? Do you know what the president said lately? Do you know what these uh, libertarian, liberal, conservative, Republican, whatever, want to have a tea party people are? Do Do you know what's going on in our world between all this division? I mean, come on. Paul? Paul says, I'm in prison, bro. I mean, I'm in prison. I've been flogged and beaten within inches of my life. In fact, I thought they were going to kill me over my faith and preaching the gospel. And so I've really earned the right here. I've really earned the right to tell you that after all that, if you are following after God's purpose, you've got no reason to ever be anxious for anything. Anxious for nothing. Anxious for no thing. You know, I like to do a lot of complicated word studies in, in, in uh, church, and it's not because I couldn't, because I've got the resources in my office to do it. But, but kind of my theory, as well as the other preachers I've borrowed messages from, I've heard them say too, is we hardly get it right in English. Why try to worry about Greek and Hebrew, right? Why try to worry about Greek? Now, that's not completely true, because there's things you can learn for that. And in this message, there is one. Because the Greek word for anxious, it's inter- interesting, it appears 17 times in the New Testament. So uh, from my notes, I'm going to say, um, and I didn't take Greek in Bible school. For some reason, the missionaries they didn't think you had to have that. But the Greek word here translated anxious in English is marinate. So I spell that for you. M-E-R-I-M for your note takers. M-E-R-I-M N-A-T-A. Marinate. And I kind of, you know, I like to do wordplay. The will tell you it's frustrating. She'll be almost ready to worship to a song going down the road, and I start changing the words to make fun of the song. You know, I don't know. It's just something I do. But, but the, the, the way I remember this word in my mind is it kind of sounds like marinate to me, which is really kind of an interesting association when you think about it, meaning anxiety, marinate, marinate. Because, I mean, come on, somebody. If you soak in all the wrong stuff, you're eventually going to be full of all kinds of fear. You know, I like, to, I like to smoke meats on a smoker. There's a bank down here that has a rotisserie smoker we borrow. And you get that pork belly or pork, not pork, but pork shoulder. And you get the brine it and then you get the marinade on it, right? Ken's licking his lips. And you go and you're working that in, right? And, and listen, you don't pick up that uncooked meat with a marinade and be like, Oh, mm, man, that's so good, right? You know, it's marinating, which which you know that's usually a good thing but you know when it's marinating it's getting messy and if someone walked up and said yeah let me let me uh, see how you're doing today and and they're like hey what you got on you right I mean sometimes we're marinating in our anxiety and it's literally like we're just sitting basting in it and when someone brushes up next to us it gets on them and they're like ugh I mean that's kind of slimy you know we got our problems on our shoulders all the time and someone asks how you doing well my bills are higher than expected, and, uh, you know, I don't like my job, and, and we go through the list, and we just marinate in the things that we're anxious about, and we're soaking up all that fear, and I like how the pronunciation of this word in Greek, because I feel like there's another meaning there. If you take marinate, think about the end, nate, knots. It's like sometimes how anxiety gets us all tied up in knots. You know, if you've ever had guys that fish, you ever had that bird's nest, you know, the, the the real something goes wrong and all that small string gets all that fishing line gets all balled up and and you have this hope that you're going to be able to untangle all that and next thing you know you spend so much time you're like not nah, forget that snip snip tie together but that's kind of how anxiety works sometimes we just feel like we're all balled up we're doubled up tripled up in this knot and it's a mess And we're spending all of our time trying to get untangled from our emotions. And and we're knotted up in a ball. And it really feels that way sometimes. And anxiety will feed depression. If you stay anxious so long, you begin to get depressed. And I've I've experienced depression. It's a weird thing because even though you know you could handle some of the day, you feel like crawling up in a ball somewhere and letting the world just go by. You don't want to even mess with starting to untangle things. You just want to ignore it. You're just knotted up, and you don't even know how to get untangled. And Paul uses the word marinate, do not marinate for anything. Do not be anxious for anything, for nothing in your life. Just don't be marinate. Don't get all tied up in knots and stuff, and don't marinate in your anxiety. But you might be saying to me, well, Pastor CJ, don't you think we need to worry about some things? See, this is where this always heads. If I start talking to you about not worrying and I start giving you examples where you worry, you know, where you're going to head mentally or verbally to me, well, am I just not supposed to even, am I not even supposed to think about that? Is that what, do I not need to be concerned at all? I mean, you're, you're telling me not to get all wound up and anxious about um, the elections or my job or the bills or whatever. And you're telling me that, but should I not be worried? Don't we need to be concerned about things? Yes, be concerned, but no, don't worry. And there's a difference. And here, some, everybody in here needs to listen to this very carefully. If you get nothing else, I need you to get this, because this is going to be a tool for your life that you need to understand. Many times we dress up our worry as concerns and pass them off to people as I'm just being concerned. The truth is we're not letting go of some things. We're letting it kind of control us, or we're letting it be, be um, something we worry about. And so I we say, well, I'm just concerned. I'm not really worried, I'm just concerned. Well, that's not true, you just can't let it go. The difference between worry and concern is what you marinate in. Do you marinate in the problem or the solution? Do you marinate in your problems? Do you spend time worrying and not arresting those stray thoughts and just focusing so much on your problems, but you don't focus on God's word and the solution? And this is one of the biggest challenges that Jen and I will have. We don't, we're not professional counselors. We don't do professional counseling, but as pastors, as shepherds, people will come to us and say, I've got a problem in my life and this is what I need to do. And you listen and you hear it all and the Holy Spirit illuminates the issue and you say, here's what I think you should do and you give them the solution and they go right back to the problem marinate I'm going to marinate I'm going to stay knotted up because I don't, I don't trust that those words that you're saying are God's words hopefully I'm speaking God's word to you I can't trust that they're really going to untangle me they're going to knot me so I just worry and it keeps me bound up and tangled up so yes be concerned don't worry are you marinating in the solution? Or are you marinating in the problem? Do I marinate in the battle against the liberalism and social decline of biblical morals in our culture, against my, my boss and the trials he brings on me, against the sickness in my life, whatever it is? Do I marinate in the battle or do I marinate in the emptying of my worries before the throne of God so that he can bring the Holy Spirit and when I empty out those things before the altar and say, I'm giving it to you, God, he can fill me with his spirit, give me the tools and the spirit to be able to Win the battle. You see, we defeat ourselves many times because we hang on to the things that are defeating us instead of turning them loose to God so he can fill us with what he needs for us to make it through the battle. You're like, well, this sounds like I don't can't make sense of this, Pastor CJ. What are you what are you saying? Well well here, let me let me help you with something else. See, Paul, this letter to the Philippians, this is to a church of that time. Paul's writing to the Philippians. Here's something interesting. Paul uses that word marinate somewhere else in there in chapter 2, but not the same way. This word is used with two different meanings. So this letter, he's he's sending this letter to the Philippians. He's talking about how he wants to send one of his missionary associates, Timothy, uh, to check on the church since he can't get out to check on them. And he describes Timothy. Now I kind of feel this because, you know, if you're a pastor and you have to be away from the church, you're checking in with people that you've already kind of, Told you to check in or let them, because you worry about things going wrong, you know. What if I leave and the church like has a big split and turns into a cult all in one Sunday? You know, what happens if that happens? Then it's all my responsibility and I'm a bad pastor because I left for a day. But look what verse 20, verse 2, I'm sorry, chapter 2 verse 20 in Philippians. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. There's an additive descriptor there, genuine concern. That means he has people who are concerned, they're just not genuine about their concern. Now this gets difficult because in our church culture, many times what we say we want, want. I'm concerned about the lost, I'm concerned about the ministry of the church, I'm concerned about this, but it's not genuine because genuine concern means you could be sent out to take care of the problem. And Timothy's that guy. He has genuine concern because, because the pastor, Paul, can say, hey, Timothy, can you go check and make sure things are done? He says, I, I know you'll take care of it. You have genuine concern that you'll do like I would do in that situation. And so he sends him. But, but guess what the Greek word translated from the English that means genuine concern? Marinate. So marinate can mean anxiety, and he uses that for the word anxiety later. Marinate and your knots, get knotted up. Marinate how we'll use to remember it, but also it can mean genuine concern. Now here's an interesting lesson from this. That means that because you have the same, you can have the same situation going on, but it's how you see it. It's how you see it. Do you see it as genuine concern? Are you looking through the lens of genuine concern? Are you looking through the lens of anxiety? Same word, two meanings, and I think the lesson here is that it's all how you perceive it and see it. I mean, come on somebody, this is where you need to shout because the truth of God's word, this is where a lot of us live many times. You don't want to admit here today that you're tied up in knots many times with anxiety about what's coming or what might come. But yet, we haven't learned how to change that to genuine concern. So part of this, we're learning how to be brave in the Lord by not letting ourselves be paralyzed by fear, which is brought on by anxiety and marinating in our anxiety instead of having genuine concern. So again, sometimes you go through a situation and you handle it with strength and you're brave about it, and that's genuine concern. Sometimes you go through a situation and you're all tied up in knots and and about stuff you can't do much about anyway, and that's needless anxiety. And wisdom, where do you get wisdom? From God. True wisdom comes from God. And that's why wisdom will show you the difference between needless anxiety and genuine concern. Be anxious for no thing. I think about this saint of a lady I got to be her manager my last uh, little bit at Walmart, corporate office. Her name was Deborah Evans, and she passed away from cancer, but she was a believer. And man, I'm telling you, she could get bad news from the doctor one day in the office, and you would expect any believer to need to go take some time to their cells, maybe have someone to pray with them and console them. And Deborah just like, God's got this. And she turned around and witnessed somebody. And she used what was happening to her, the cancer, as a testimony of how God can carry you through the storms. And it was like, wow, that is a testimony. That's awesome. But I get all bent out of shape sometimes. If I'm leaving the driveway, I don't have time to turn around and go back. And I spill coffee on the front of my shirt. And it's ruined my day. I'm all anxious about the fact I'm going to have to walk around through the day explaining this big stain on my shirt. Or I get all anxious if there's a bill that was surprisingly higher than anticipated. And so now I can't concentrate on the things of God today because I'm so consumed by being anxious about that bill. And, and here's the thing that's even weird and a little bit psychotic about myself. Is, in a recently, you know, I can be thinking I'm having a heart attack. Not uh, 3rd of July. My... my Mother and father's house, that everybody's talking and everything. I'm sitting here all of a sudden, wham, hard pain in my chest. Wham. It's just like literally, it's like making my chest kind of react. And I'm thinking, and it's like where everything slows down and everybody's having conversations, and you're like, do I alarm anybody? And I'm thinking, this might be it. I mean, it was bad. And I'm getting sweaty and all these symptoms that I, you know, I hear heart attack. And all I can think about is, man, wouldn't you know it? I'm not by the VA which doesn't cost me anything. I'm here up by my mother and father. I wonder where the closest VA is. I'm worried about the bill. I'm like, I'm not going to get an ER bill. I mean, God, you'll just have to take me home now. And Jen's trying to get me there. On She's on the phone by the time I get her attention. She's trying to get, trying to find out where the VA is. There's no one close. They said, just go to a hospital. All your symptoms, you need to go. And I was like, ah, just go lay down and see what happens, see if I wake up. You know, I'll just go through the pain. I'm stubborn. I'd rather not pay that bill because it's like I have a free option back home, but it's not here. And, and so I'm marinating my anxiety. I'm just like, I'll just deal with the anxiety rather than, than marinate in the solution. God's got my economy. He's got my bills. He's my provider. He's given me some doctors with some skills. Go to the doctor. See, I can say that easily now. I don't know how I'll handle that test the next time. But I've known believers who can have the worst circumstances happen to them and they say, it ain't nothing but a thing. Remember that old saying, it ain't, it ain't no thing but a chicken wing? Right? It ain't no thing. And I think Paul's trying to get us to see here in Philippians chapter 4 be anxious for no thing. Be concerned about the state of your soul. Be concerned about the state of your kids. And let, let me just stop here, and I'm going I'm to give a little plug that's off-topic a little bit about our kids. On Wednesday nights, I see some kids that come, uh, Vincent and Brittany's kids that come, and they're standing in the back, and most of these kids are this high, and they, maybe some of them didn't get raised in church. When they first came, they're just looking around, and now they're getting into worship and all that. And you know, all they can see is people's rear ends. They can't see the, the, you know, the lights reflecting off of the worship team and the instruments going on. There. They see people's backsides. Think about that perspective in life. You're praising God and all you can see is the butt of life. (laughs) But yet they're praising God. And a couple times I brought them up front. I was like, you need to to come up here where you can see a different perspective. But, But they're praising God. And don't underestimate, don't underestimate with your children what they can grasp about God, no matter how old they are. You know, I struggle with giving my kids, don't, Anybody that thinks I'm talking about you, I can't see very much past here. And, And I grew up, my parents probably gave me colors and stuff. But I struggle with giving our kids, after a certain age especially, things to keep them busy in service. Because I don't really think that they need anything else to keep them busy in service. I think the Holy Spirit can speak to them just like they do the adult. In fact, Jesus really talks about a childlike faith. I think sometimes we put too much in human psychology. What do the psychologists say? Now listen, you know, I'm not a Scientologist here. Our Christianity is different. We believe that God used doctors and God, I mean, I I believe that. But listen, we also lack a lot of faith sometimes. We put too much hope in doctors and human resources and not in God. And so we think, well, I know that that kid's mind developmentally, they can't really pay attention this long. Maybe they can't. Maybe they're going to annoy you. But I would rather risk on them catching a little tidbit of God's word that's going to bury in their spirit for later than to give them some little busy work so they can ignore what's going on. Because if those little kids that are this high, some of them don't even hardly say a few words, can just get the fact that there's some joy going on here and I want to get in on it, then don't underestimate the power of God to reach even the littlest lives. Be concerned about God's work in the world. Be concerned about God's work in the church. And and be concerned that if New Song didn't exist tomorrow, would this community miss us? Would they know that we closed up? I mean, if nobody announced it for us, like Mayor Bill didn't announce it, but if we closed the doors tomorrow, would they know who New Song was and and who these people were? That they were believers and that we were doing things in the community that was was changing their mindset about the love of God to a positive one? Have genuine concern, but when it comes to the other things that you have, you've got to learn. When it comes to other things that you can't control, that are just anxiety, you've got to let it go, man it ain't no thing you gotta look at some things in your life and say it ain't no thing so let me show you this in romans paul is talking to the romans about some pretty heavy stuff and so in romans eight thirty one, it says what then shall we say in response to these things what then shall we say in response to these things so everyone say it out loud things, things. these things what shall we say in response to these things if God is for us, then who can be? Somebody says something nasty about you. What does it matter if you're a believer? If God is for you, who can be against you? If he, you know It's going to hurt you worse when a loved one says something nasty, but what does that matter in the grand scheme of things other than you need to pray that God gets a hold of their heart? Because it can't really hurt you because who is for you? Who can be against you? No one. He is against you. But no one one can come against you. Satan can come against you, but he's not going to win. We know who wins. If God is for me, who can be against me? And so that's that's not for pride or anything. It's just confidence as God's child. It's being confident in what he's he's told you from his word. And you can have that confidence. Paul's saying it's just a thing. Look at the next verse, Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all how will he not also along with him graciously give graciously give us all he who did not spare his own son I missed something and somebody didn't catch me on it but gave him up for us all how will he not also along with him graciously give us All things. Ain't nothing but a thing. Then we skip to verse 37. He starts listing all these things. Knowing all these things, we are what? We are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Think about that. Uh, think about that guy that goes out in the Roman Empire. He'd go out in the Colosseum, and they'd turn loose lions, tigers, bears, or my whatever it was, and he would go to battle with them just for entertainment of others. And in the end, he becomes a conqueror, and he's standing with, with skin probably shredded. And he's standing there barely alive, showing his muscles with his leg on that lion. And God says, even the best conqueror, even the most successful military conqueror, we are more than that, more than conquerors. Now, we're, you're talking about Paul, right? And, and so, you, you, Paul, what are you talking about? I mean, uh, are you talking about spilled coffee in my shirt, how I react to that? Are you talking about, you know, bills that are surprisingly higher? Are you talking about a uh, near heart attack that I think I'm having and not want to pay the ER bill? Romans 8.38 goes on and says, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, I mean, this is heavy stuff, neither death nor life neither angels nor demons neither the present nor the future nor any powers and let me just put a blank here for you nor any thing that means all creation whether it's bankruptcy joblessness homelessness addiction whatever that, that's nothing too great nothing too overpowering that, that nothing you need to be anxious about because God's got you it ain't no thing Romans 8.39 neither height nor depth Neither height nor depth. No matter how, how, high, how high you go or to the lowest depths. It's just a little water in your nose. It doesn't matter how deep you are. When the water gets in there, it's just something got power through. It doesn't matter, you know, uh, about that blood that makes you squeamish. God's got you. Neither height nor depth nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So reach over and poke somebody in the shoulder and say, ain't nothing but a thing ain't nothing but a thing ain't nothing but no thing be anxious for no thing so i want you to do this this week i want you to to when you're faced with something and it doesn't fit in paul's list that's what i put the blank for it ain't no thing whatever that thing is and that's why anything is it is can seem paralyzing when you get anxious over it but when you become genuinely concerned but you go to god's word you marinate in the solution you don't let yourself marinate in anxiety you don't get tied up in knots but you go to god's word you go to him and marinate in the solution that he's given you then those things are powerless against you And i know someone say it's easier said than done but god will help you see if you aren't studying god's word outside of these times that we have together i'm going to be real with you for a minute I'm going to explain to you why if you, if you don't feel like you have power in your walk with God, feel like you're not progressing or you're never going anywhere, well here's where a lot of it lies. If you've made a decision to follow Christ and you're not spending time studying his word, and I'm talking about reading a verse just for a little quirky verse to take and say, well that was a, that was a good thought and go on with your life, but if you're not studying his word and letting the power of that applied to your life change things in your life, you're not going to get enough out of a couple hours a week at church to really see your life change. You're not going to progress and, and grow closer and be spiritual, mature, spiritually mature in Christ if you leave it up to just chance. But I'm hoping that if I show up for church, I'll get a little tidbit of something, and that's going to propel me forward. You've got to study God's Word. But, Pastor, I started reading in Numbers, and so-and-so begot so-and-so, and so begot got so and so and so and I fell asleep, and I have no idea what I even read. Listen, that's where prayer and communication with the Lord, because it says that you can't understand His Word without the illumination of the Holy Spirit. You need God to help you in reading His Word, and He will when you go to Him. But listen, if you come and you expect that somehow you're going to find a church somewhere where that pastor just preaches good enough, and it's going to really change your life, but you don't do any of your own studying God's Word, you're fooling yourself. What you'll end up doing is keep seeking a place where it tickles your fancy, and what He says is interesting enough and entertaining enough that makes you want to come back, and that's what you'll come for, is to be entertained. But you won't come for spiritual growth. You'll come to get fed, what we call fed. No, you're coming to get entertained. Because God's word, when you begin to dig into it and study, and it begins to be applied to your life, and you apply to your life, it begins to change the way you see things, your perception. No longer do you see things as as some big um, need in your life. Going back to when we talked about provision, you won't have to see that I've got to have this job. I've got to have this car. I've got to have that spouse. I've got to have this. You start saying, you know what? I'm thankful for what God's given me, and he's got me. And I'm, I'm pretty good where I'm at. And whatever else he brings my way, then praise God, but, but I'm good. And you get anxious for nothing. You spend more time being thankful about what you have than being anxious for things that you think need to come your way. And how many times the people in our church, or I as your pastor, or we as a family have been tied in knots, marinate, for something that turned out to be nothing, I mean, I think about back when I was building my house. You know, there's times I got so depressed about that I, I didn't think I was going to finish it, and I didn't know what I was doing, I bit off more than I could chew, and I'd be thinking, God, you might as well hang me from the rafters of this, this unfinished building and let me dry out and die because I, I can't do this. And I have this building project. I start thinking, God, what are you doing? I don't know what I'm doing. I can't finish this. And here I am several years past my house building, enjoying coming home to a comfortable home that I know that I put the blood, sweat, and tears in. And God helped me, and I could see that. But every time, if I focus on marinating in the anxiety, marinating in the problem and not the solution of God's word. Now here's one thing. Before, we, before I close, I want you to understand something. How many has ever played the telephone game? You know what that is? Where, where you tell somebody something here, and if I told Colton, and he tells his mom, and then she tells Caleb, and then we go around and, By the time it gets over here, right, by the time it's over in here, right, Jaden, right, Devin, you guys would uh, be repeating something totally different than what I told Colton, guaranteed, right? Telephone game. Well, here's here's where I'm going to tell you something to those of you who find yourself anxious a lot. We already know that maybe it's because you're not being thankful for what you already have enough and you're focused on what needs to come. But listen, here's, here's what's a common denominator in those who I find who live in anxiety. Is that oftentimes the common denominator is secondhand information? In other words, you're not going to the source, you're going to everyone you can find to get some information to solve your problem, and God's saying, My word is not sufficient for you. My word and, and prayer and, and time with me is not sufficient for you. I'm not saying you don't need to get godly advice, but we go. Facebook and as many people we can, and we've, we're collecting and gathering like we're hunter and gatherers, you know, for information. Like we're going to solve our problems by getting enough information. What happens is we get so many voices going that we get confused and we can't figure out which is God's voice, and we just pedal. And then we get so overwhelmed, we get paralyzed and we stop because we've 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 focused on the wrong thing. We've marinated in the wrong thing. God's given us so many solutions in His Word. Are we spending time in His Word? And here's a crazy thing. The other common denominator is on the other side of the storm. In the second part of this message next week, we'll get into about the storm. But in the storm of life, when you're going through a trial, here's another common denominator. When I got done with my house, I'm like, man, I wish I had all that time back that I worried and fretted over that. The sleepless nights, that was really a waste because God carried me through I wish I get that time back. And that's a common denominator. You get to the other side of it and you're like, man, did I really just let myself freak out and, and really not trust in God and really not take his word at heart and I just let myself get anxious about all these things. And sometimes we're anxious for nothing. Joyce Myers, I don't quote her a lot. I don't really listen to Joyce Myers. I don't have anything against her, but this is just a little Joyce Myers for you that do. Joyce Myers has a saying. She says, worry is a down payment on a problem you may never have. Worry is a down payment on a problem you may, may never own? It's like you going down and, you know, getting a loan for a car that you're never going to drive. You may never drive it. You're just going down there and get a loan just in case you ever decide to go get it and drive it. So next week we're going to, we, you know, we talked about before about what's, what's Satan's what's Satan's battle plan is destruction. Kill still destroy. What's his strategy? Well, in this case, it's to make you anxious about everything next week we're going into tactics how do we how do we really get into the nitty-gritty of not being anxious i've given you some tools i've given you some thoughts and things to go over but but next week we'll get into the tactics how do we not be anxious these things are paralyzing listen listen closely i look around at every face in here and i know names i know folks i know you love the lord and i do too and i struggle with this very same thing so i'm not trying to step on your toes but But we go back to the things I keep asking. Where's our fruit? Where are our disciples? If you're a believer in Christ, God has not created you to not have disciples. He has not called you into relationship with him to not create disciples. The great commandment, right? The great commission, I'm sorry, the great commission is to go and make disciples. That means it's not a matter of, that's not my gifting, Pastor CJ. I just don't talk to people and that's not my thing know that he's saying, then you need to let me change you so it is your thing because it is every believer's thing. When the Holy Spirit came on them in the upper room in Acts and they got baptized in the Holy Spirit, they went out with boldness, the Holy Spirit helped them with the boldness go out and make disciples. Some of you young people, you may be burnt out on church and church culture. Can I tell you, I am too. We're there together. I am burnt out on church culture. I'm not so sure that sometimes we don't have a lot wrong in how we approach church compared to what God meant for the New Testament church. I'm not saying we're not doing it for, we're doing it for nothing. I'm not saying that we're wrong in everything we do. We have a great time. The Holy Spirit's here. He's working on us. But I'm just saying, ideally, I believe a lot of times we're on the wrong track because we make things important about the consumer mentality, like what we're, what we're going to get, like when's the next fellowship and when's this. Those are all good. But our drive is about things that that feed our needs, instead of just being thankful for what I got, and pouring into others. And I'm going to say it again, if you can go to any body of believers, and you can go for months and months and months, and you aren't learning anybody's name or what's going on, and you're not, you're not becoming in some way tied to someone, I don't care if it's through messenger, on Facebook, or if it's through text, or it's what, but if you're going on in life in a body of believers without making any relationship with others, it's broken. It's broken for you. But I have enough friends. I have my own circle. Yes, Jesus had his 12. Jesus never stopped ministering to others. And if God put them in their, in his, in their pathway, they ministered to him. Right? They went off for rest. They took vacation from all that. Jesus had to get away when the crowds. But what I'm telling you is these are keys to bring in your relationship with God alive. It's not our duty or task. I'm telling you, you get into his word, you let his word start impacting your life and change how you change how you see things, change how you interact with people, let it really begin to change the direction in your life. You aren't anxious about things because you're thankful that God's got you where he's got, got you. He's, he's got you right there for a reason, but you begin letting him focus you on the solution, marinate in the solution. Why don't I have fruit in my life? Why don't I have fruit in my life? Well, I don't want to be anxious about that, so I need to start thinking about a solution. God's Word says, maybe it's because I'm focusing on myself too much. Maybe I'm looking at the splinters in everybody's eyes and it's causing division between me and others. And I need to look at that scripture that talks about taking the plank out of my own eye before I take the splinter out of somebody else's. There's a wealth of information in God's Word that starts to teach you. "This This is where my roadblock is. This is why people's lives aren't being changed. You know, one of the most awesome things is, is recently I was talking to someone in the church and we're having a conversation and I'm starting to try to, to speak some truth to their life and the Holy Spirit, I could just literally sense a moment the Holy Spirit took over and I looked them in the eyes and said, you're not going to be able to go to sleep tonight and forget this conversation. These are the words God's going to put in your heart. And I'm saying that with such confidence, I'm like, I've, I was like, I, that better be the Holy Spirit because otherwise I'm a liar. They go to bed and be like, oh, I slept fine. I didn't remember a word you said. But no, I knew. And I know that this person is not going to be let loose of those words because the Holy Spirit interjected that time. And see, that's the thing. You want fruit in your life? You have to start turning over control. Make yourself less. Give him opportunity to, to bring those gifts into your life and to start speaking in people's lives. Okay, we're going to... I said I'm going to close. I want to tell you one other quick story about myself. And, and I, I almost feel funny not waiting until my dad's in the service to do this, but there was a time when me and my dad didn't hardly speak to each other as pastor and son. We could walk through the church building where he pastored and pass each other and not say a word. And there was this uncomfortable cloud. And my dad, later I found out because of the way he was raised and grew up, my dad, it's, I'm not blaming him, he, he just didn't learn from his His dad died when he was 17. And he had some rough things go on, lived in his car on the streets of Tulsa for a while. and You know, he just had it rough and so he didn't get a lot of that help and how to have those relationships with your kids. And I got bitter. And church people tell me I need to be perfect cuz I'm the pastor's son. You know, while they're not watching their kids tear the place apart behind them, but they're really focused on the pastor's kids and every little thing they do because their their expectations for them are higher. And so I got bitter and I'm bitter at church people. And you know, I really began to look at God. I didn't realize it, but I was looking at God like I did my earthly father. And I just thought, man, he really doesn't have anything to say to me. He can't even say he loves me. He can't even speak audibly. I mean, they're telling me about this guy, but I can't even hear him. And I remember the first time I was going to James River Church when there were about 2,500 people. When Jen and I met there, 10,000, but I went there when there were 2,500 people. And they had an evangelist speaking, a special speaker. And I was waiting until everybody cleared out because I didn't want anybody praying for me. I didn't want anybody getting in my business. I wanted to go to the altar and just spend quiet time. But He had this conversation going up with some one person. Everybody else cleared out. and I'm like, I got tired of waiting. So I'm like, well, they're talking. So I start down the, towards the altar. And it's kind of sloped. And I am getting this, this auditorium that seats like 2,500 people. I'm walking. It's like the guy's back was turned to me, but he just stopped like he got a message. And I happened to look up, and I see him kind of stop. And he, like, turned around because I don't think he knew anybody else was in there. And he sees me walking down the aisle, and he points at me and says, The God told me that if, until you get your relationship with your earthly father right, your relationship with your Heavenly Father will never be what it's supposed to be. And he had no idea what I'd been struggling with. Never met him. And boom, I didn't make it to the altar. I hit the floor, just <sniffs> cried and cried. And he never came over and prayed for me. He, like the Lord even respected the fact that I was just needed to deal with it between me and the Lord. Poured out. And you know, not long after that, my dad had a, what they thought a heart attack. And he was in ICU. And I went up there and sat with my dad. And I'm in Bible college, by the way. We still don't have a relationship. I had siblings in my family tell me to quit pressing for a relationship with my dad because it's just going to aggravate things. Because if you push too close with dad, it just aggravated things. And I said, I'm not accepting that. I know God can do something. And me and my dad began talking about ministry, and he began to share his story with me that I never even bothered to ask. And God broke my heart for my dad. I didn't look at my dad as that preacher anymore, or just my dad as a child of God who has had his own struggles. Has walked his own journey, who's had his own hurts, and God's given me this wonderful gift of a man who has traveled through the worst adversities in life and came out more than a conqueror. And the respect came, and the love for that man came, and I can hug my father now, and we say, "I love you," and I look for every opportunity to tell him, "I love you, Dad," and I cherish those moments. We went to see Lily's second ballet uh, ballet practice, and. You know, God starts tuning you in to how to minister to you and your family. I'm sitting there. This may not sound like a big deal to you, but I'm focused on my girl, and I'm just watching, I'm taking videos. And something made me turn and look, and I see my dad with this look on his face, and he's sitting there. We're on a hard bench, and I realized he is miserable. He was trying to do this for his granddaughter, but he was miserable sitting there. And I shot out of my seat, dropped the phone. went found the big thing people work out, mat, folded up, made my dad a cushion. And I sat there, and God actually ministered to me and gave me a whole message just from that instance about what happens when we get over our fences, last sermon. We get over our fences and realize that God created us to be more than conquerors, to love each other, to protect each other, for, for not to, to, to marinate in our anxieties, not get all up in knots about everything and just say, God's got it. And he can, he can make it a wonderful life, or you can make your life a living hell all in whether you marinate in the solution or in the anxiety. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you, God, for your word, for your mighty power to change lives. That the Word says your scripture is like with a surgeon with a scalpel that can go into the most intricate parts of our, the most minute, tiny parts, the vital parts of our body and do surgery and correct issues. God, that your Word is sharper than that. Your Word is more precise than that. That those things that we struggle with in our lives, that right now your Holy Spirit has gone deep into the recesses of hearts in this room. That, that things that hurts and offenses, Lord, anxiety, things that we're holding on to, we're marinating in the things that keep us paralyzed. That we can't move forward because we just feel overwhelmed. That we go to all these other sources instead of you, God. We got all these voices speaking to us and we're, we're taking it all in instead of going to you and your word. and We're getting anxious because we're always waiting on what's coming instead of being thankful for where you've brought us to and what we have tied up in knots. We want to ball up and the depression's coming and we want to just watch the world pass us by. Lord, I pray right now in Jesus' name that no one here, that the enemy would be bound. No one would reject the moving of the Holy Spirit in their heart. While everybody's got your head bowed, I'm going to ask a very pointed question to some in this room. You know that you don't have a relationship with God in your heart. You know that He's not Lord of your life. You know that you're not turning your life over to Him. You're trying to do it on your own and you're tired and you're weary. You're burnout. Your emotions are gone. And you, you're you tired of living life dried up. And you need a fresh, you need a fresh relationship with God. You need something new in your life. You need God to come in and renew your spirit and bring life from death. If that's you, I just want you to raise your hand so I can pray for you. You need the Lord to come into your life. Jesus. And Everyone else here, this is a conversation in your heart that you're going to need to carry on even after this service, but you need to ask the Lord, Lord, what are the things that I am not turning over to you, that I'm being anxious, that I'm marinating in the anxiety and getting tied up in knots? You probably already know them easily, but you need to seek the Lord and ask him to help you, to let go, let God take it, to live in victory. For any that raise their hand to accept the Lord as their Savior, I want you, you don't have to pray exact words, you pray from your heart. But the scripture tells us that if we believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, confess with our mouths that he is Lord, that we will be saved he is faithful to save us from our sins. So you can just pray along with me. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Be my Lord and Savior. I love you, Jesus. I turn my life over to you. Lead me and guide me. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you prayed that prayer for the first time or you made a recommitment, the scripture says your name is written in the Lamb's book of life and that you're heading for an eternity in heaven with him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, go with us as we travel today, as those go back to home, and that you be glorified in everything we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you. God bless you. Have a wonderful Sunday. I'll see you Wednesday night at 630. And if you need a prayer after the service, you're welcome to come up here and I pray with you. Love you guys.